It's time for some inside animation. With your host, Adam Sartain. Today's guest, Jeff Laflamme. And now, here's your host, Adam Sartain. And we are here with yet another episode of Inside Animation. I am your host, Adam Sartain, and today I'm very excited. I have with us Jeff Laflamme as our guest. Hey, hey. Hey. So, uh, Jeff, why don't you tell our listeners what you do and what you've done in animation? In animation? Oh, I thought this was about uh, sports. Or something. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so really quickly, because I know this stuff is really boring. I basically had gotten animation in my teen, so I've been in it for quite a while. I uh, was doing uh, comic books, and I saw an animated I guess, a special on TV at the time, a 30-minute 30, you know, special, and it happened to be called The Point, and uh, Ringo Starr narrates it. And it's a great little watercolory, very kind of 60s-looking uh, uh, animation. But I saw that, I thought, oh, yeah, that's it. I'm going to do uh, animation instead of comic books. I can make my comic books move. And, of course, like every other animator, you think that you're just going to create worlds, and you're going to go into animation, and, and it's not like that, really. And then I actually, uh, from there, I did some films. I ended up doing, like, stop-motion films with Super 8 camera and lights. And one of my lights was actually, there's a little side note, but one of my lights was a sun lamp. So as I was doing my clay animation, the clay would get soft, a little softer than it should. And actually, I burned my eye a little bit, a quarter of my eye. Mm. I had to go see my doctor. He's like, you burned your eye. <laughs> but I had limited resources. But I ended up winning a couple of state awards. I think I got second place in honorable mention at the time. And it was like 16 years old or something like that. And then went to uh, Rhode Island School of Design, special, uh, went into animation there and went out to Los Angeles. And it happened to be during the time, like late 80s, early 90s, where there was a lot of animation work happening. They kind of called it the second golden age of animation or whatever. But it was just sort of uh, Roger Rabbit and... Um, other sort of films kind of started, Ren and Stimpy, really the two things that kind of started this whole resurgence of it. And uh, so I had a lot of- AKA my childhood. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. great stuff too, just great stuff. And so uh, I had had gone out to LA and uh, and I was able to work a lot on a lot of things. So I would work uh, at Film Roman was the company I basically was working at for the time I was there for the most part. They were able, they were sort of, a different approach where if they liked you it put you in a, a, a seat they wanted to keep you there as long as possible versus the sort of newer thing where they sort of want to you know production's over and you're out of here kind of thing and that was kind of nice so i was there for a while and i worked on garfield and bobby's world and i worked on the simpsons season four and i worked on marge versus the monorail which is one of the great ones i was happy I to work on that. that i had yeah. no idea at the time it was funny because I think some of the guys in The Simpsons like, ah, oh, you can work on this because you're a new guy. And I was like, okay, but it turns out, you know, I guess they didn't know who Conan was. I don't know what it was, but I got a chance to work on it as a, a newbie. But I worked on Bugs Bunny and Flintstone. Right, Flintstone. I worked on Tom and Jerry. I worked on all these things. And it was nice also. I got to work with directors like Chuck Jones and 
Joe Barbera and Phil Roman and these people who I admired and uh, not directly working for them, but under their studio, under their direction. Uh, what, and then, what position? Uh, what position did? What specific job did you do for these? Like for The Simpsons, for example. Were you an illustrator? Well, I went or to, when an I went animator? to yeah, I wanted to be an animator, but when I got out there, it was um, they started me right out with like storyboard and, and character design, pretty much what everybody does still today, because everything was being done overseas, and it was kind of a disappointing reality to realize. You know, even though on Bobby's World, I was like a lead designer on Bobby's World. It was just me and one other guy who were lead designers under Mitch Shower. And Mitch Shower was, of course, the, the director of it. I still was like, oh, I, don't know. I was like, I don't know. I, I kind of didn't want to do that. It wasn't really my forte. I really wanted to get into animation. And it was really hard to find those kind of jobs because in L.A., there's a lot of animators who deserve to get the animation work before I got it. So it was tricky, but I would be working, you know, eight hours a a day at Film Roman, and then I would get a lot of freelance work. So I'd be working 12 hours all the time, happily doing it. And then I just, I think it was basically the Northridge earthquake kind of rattled us a little bit. And that was, you know, the big Literally the and figuratively. <laughs> it, we literally were almost in Northridge too. So it wow. was, I mean, I remember that morning, it was like, you know, bouncing, the whole bed was bouncing and we were screaming and then it was over. And like every car alarm in LA was going off. And then you look out the window and these transformers are blowing up like atomic bombs. It was, it was very surreal. And of course you drove around the city and it just looked like, you know, end of the world. So it was difficult to find a place to move. Then our building was condemned. People were moving. We even had a moving company that kind of screwed us over. They were going to schedule this, but somebody paid them more and they went with them. So we kind of, kind of had it with that. And I had visited my brother who lived in uh, New Mexico with my wife at that time, she was my fiance, and we thought, you know, we really liked Santa Fe, and we thought we would maybe possibly move here, and we decided to make the move then. And then I started a small studio here called Flam Doodle Animation, right? And it was in Santa Fe, and we did I did that for about five years to see how that would work. And it's just, you know, Santa, uh, New Mexico just isn't LA, and there isn't a huge call for animation. The projects that we did, we did well, we won awards for them, but it turned out to be something pretty limited. Um, and then. Uh, I went from that sort of into teaching for a while, I did teaching for about another seven years, and that went really well. And I did that at the local universities. And then uh, lately I've been shifting into more of a passion project. And lately I've been working on a graphic novel that's online. It's called Homecoming. And the website is www.hokocomic.com. So um, I'm on page 50 now. And the idea is that the panels some panels will be animated. So I'm working on that. And uh, hopefully I can find a guy like Adam to do voices for me because I need that first to do the animation. But, I know a guy like And that's pretty me. much what I do. <laughs> hey, what do you know? I, yeah. I, I listened to what you did and I, 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 we got to talk. yet had a storyboard artist on my program so I'd love to talk about what a storyboard artist does because okay. I really like to focus on the different jobs in the animation industry and how they contribute okay. to making animated films and tv shows so when you're making say Bobby's World there's obviously a script for that episode and that's the first thing that happens right right and then 
after but, that is uh, storyboard the very next thing that happens or what what comes after the script or what where does storyboard fit in? Well, I guess it would be the script first and you might even do some character designs before that so you get a sort of sense of what the characters look like and sort of sort of it lends itself to a certain style or maybe of story writing or how the how the you know how you might take your approach i mean you're writing for nickelodeon versus you know cartoon network might be right. different on different shows so you might do some a little bit of, of that ahead of time but you know generally speaking this is more of the old pipeline it would be script character design and then storyboard and then sort and then go character. to animation of course the animation was done overseas because you need but, to know um, what the characters look like before you place them in the storyboard that makes sense exactly yeah, yeah exactly so I would assume that storyboard is kind of like a, it's not exactly stick figures, but it's not exactly a finished product. So it's like a little, it's a quick, like how quickly do you churn out a storyboard for an episode? Oh, probably. It's probably something done probably in a, in a month or three months, something that range, you know, um, it's, and it's, uh, and actually when I worked on it now today, it's a whole different thing. This really beautiful thing. What they do now is a sort of storyboard animatics. They're almost practically the whole production. I mean, a storyboard as today, I actually would like to be more than I was at the time I was involved in it, which is in the you know wow. late 90s. Because now they sort of do the storyboards and they sort of it sort of time it out like animation. It's kind of like you sort of see the key positions almost of the animation in the storyboard instead of the animator doing the key positions. Almost the storyboard artist is sort of kind of involved in timing it out and sort of looks like it becomes animatic. And that's kind of nice. But for when I was doing it, it was actually... Very tight, Adam, actually, honestly, because what they did is they literally took the storyboard panels and blew them up and used them for layout. <laughs> <laughs> so you had to do a panel that was pretty on model and pretty accurate, oh. at least for Garfield. Um, some of the other ones, you know, you could be a little looser with. But on the Garfield storyboards, it's ridiculously tight. And that was what they oh. did. They just sent, they sent those overseas and they used them as layouts. So they sort of set up the scene from the storyboard. So it wasn't like they looked at the storyboard and then, you know, what they call it in LA, plussing it. Right. Plussing it was like, I take something, I'm gonna make it better. And yeah. that's the whole process of the animation is every time you got something, you wanted to improve it so that the end product was just fantastic. You know, like a, a Pixar, you know, feature exactly. or something. Now I've heard a so, lot of different ways as to where voice actors come in. I've had it where the voice actors come in before there is even a storyboard and I've had voice actors come in and record their lines after the animation is done. So hmm. what is, what has your experience been? It's usually, it's usually they, when they get the script, they just do it right there. And then the animation follows the voice. Cause you, you want to do the, you want to transpose the voice, you know, second by second or frame by frame on it with, you know, the exposure sheets is what we use and today with like right. tune boom, you have you have that still. You have either the sort of the flash style, you know, uh, layers, or you can do exposure shoots in Tubum, which is just that you know the same thing instead of horizontal, it's vertical kind of idea. Okay. But they would transpose it, and uh, you know there'd be people who just did that all day long. They would just be timers. They time out yeah. the whole scene based on what they heard right. from the, the voice talents, and they would you know figure out how long each thing needed to happen, and then they can figure out the whole everything. I mean Homer grabbing a cup of coffee and lifting it to his lips would be like time down even. So they'd be, yeah. they would do the whole process like that. And that would, yeah, that would, that would pretty much always come right there. It'd be at that point before the animation done after the animation. I don't, I don't think I've ever heard of that one. Okay. But, um, okay. So yeah, yeah. so it but is mostly 
the voice actors come in and just do their thing and act and then the animators come in listen to that and then animate to the to the sound yeah i mean when i worked on the simpsons i was given a cassette tape and you know back then it was cassette tapes i don't even know what it is today but it's probably still cheap cassette tapes, like an but... mp3 or something just email yeah it i mean i don't know how i have you know i don't know it's been like i was season four so it's about season 40 now or something so yeah, i don't know yeah <laughs> so i don't know how many like is there a set number of panels of storyboard for an episode or like, like is there a certain number per minute how is that generate or is it per event that's a good question yeah i'll tell you i'll tell you here's the inside information right <laughs> that's what this whole well, podcast is about <laughs> <laughs> so this is good stuff because this is actually i had that question and i found it out when i worked there and i found a lot of stuff out working because i was working with lots of great veteran people i worked with Guys who are like, you know, 78 years old who worked on, you know, the original Bugs Bunny. And I worked, of course, on a, a newer uh, Bugs Bunny. And again, we, this is a group effort. So there's people who, you know, sometimes, you know, I, 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 I did storyboard cleanup, you know, more than storyboarding or character design. It's not different things you do. They kind of called me at one point the fireman because I just put out fires. Like, Jeff, I need help with this. Jeff, I need help with that. And so, but um, generally speaking, what seemed like a popular technique was that you look the script. And you would do little on the script. You draw little thumbnail sketches of what you vision that sort of scene looking like, and then you sort of, that was sort of developed how many panels you wanted, and of course you'd have the director's input on it. And also within TV animation, depending on the budget, you know, you if you had a good budget, you can go with some interesting moves, camera moves, or angles, like on The Simpsons. Right. But for like Garfield, it was pretty much you know straight side views, three quarter looking Garfield, and his head was always three quarter looking and it was pretty straightforward for the most part without a lot of embellishments. Right. Very cool. Yeah. Yeah. I, j I just keep going back to Bobby's world. Uh, how many episodes did you do? Oh gosh. Oh, this is just like a challenge about thinking back to the early nineties. Well, let's see. Well, definitely the, I was heavily involved in the first season. And then I guess, you know, I don't know how many seasons even of Bobby's world. I mean, just with a dinner of, you know, they had lots of projects you never heard of before that, you know, went by the wayside, like Zazu You was a you know, production they tried. Yeah. <laughs> Feel the Cat. I mean, just so we jumped around on things that just kind of. I but, have a um, feeling oh, Bobby's you know, World I, didn't last many seasons, but <laughs> what I cannot yeah, get out I of think, my head is the uh, the mom is, you know, the that mis that's where I pull my Midwestern, you know, oh, dear, Bobby. For crying <laughs> in your mud now. <laughs> there you go. Very good. Yeah, that, that just Wisconsin accent there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was very unusual at the time. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's uh, it was a lot of fun. But I think probably I probably worked, you know, heavily in the first season, I suppose, the design was. And then they were just, you know, once in a while somebody needed help and they'd say, Jeff, you know, I would be, you know, at one point I was working on Garfield and I'd go downstairs and work on Tom and Jerry the movie and come upstairs and work more on Garfield and I remember at one point uh, the director I worked on Tom and Jerry the movie came upstairs and said what are you doing up here I've been looking for you <laughs> this is actually my real job I'm helping you downstairs on Tom and Jerry the movie and he had to sort of like talk to people about it but uh, but yeah so it's it's uh so I'd say yeah I, I sort of helped out other guys there was you know other guys who were doing more uh heavily involved in storyboards than I was, you know, and uh, I started getting away from the storyboards and character design, wanted to get more into the animations. They started a commercial division under uh, director Frank Furlong, 
who's a great guy. I admire him probably more than anybody in LA. So I, I did some animation there and that was a lot of fun. We did tricks commercials and, you know, things are based around Garfield. Uh, I think they had like a Garfield snack, like a gummy snack. And we did a few <laughs> of those. So I did have my chance to do it for a little while there, but you know, it's always shifting in, in a company and they closed the commercial division down and Frank left and there's a lot of movement, but I kind of, I, I was able to pretty much stay in my seat for a while. Yeah. Now that we've got kind of a good idea about what a storyboard artist does, let's go back in time. I know you've already at the beginning of the podcast kind of talked about how you how you got started, but how specifically did you get started as a storyboard artist, like say for Bobby's World or something? Did well, you apply for a job or was there a job yes. posting? Yes. Well, I'll tell you exactly. I'll tell you because uh, I know, I mean, I'm, I do talk to people a lot and mentor people a lot uh, literally doing it right now with other people some people simply through text some people i never even met before they just find me through facebook and they start asking me questions and i'm i'm just like happy to help them so basically when i left uh, Rhode Island school of design and went to los angeles to look for work i just and i would recommend this kind of thing you know the newer sort of approach might be a little tweaked but what i did is i sent resumes and reels to all the studios in la and some were actually surprised that I sent them something because they were smaller studios or not really a big studio. And I guess people overlooked them, which, you know, I think is a mistake. You want get, to get your name and your face out to as many people as possible. And I was looking for basically work as an animator. I wasn't for anything else really but animator. So I sent up the studios and a lot of people were very gracious. I get to meet a lot of people, probably people I should have known a little better who they were. <laughs> mm-hmm. Should have like, been a little more impressed. I, had, I lacked a little bit of knowledge of animation history. You know, I, I have sometimes at film Roman, I have to, oh, you know, this person's walking through the studio. <laughs> Who's that? <laughs> and then I went to the, I, I would call, you know, it's important. You, you do this, you send your resumes out, you send your reels out, but you got to follow it up. And a lot of kids are scared about doing that. They're scared about making those calls. But I, I tell people all the time, listen, that's your best thing to do is call. And ask them what they want. Ask them what they're looking for. Ask them what's a good reel. You know, that find a recruiter. Get to know the recruiter by their first name. And I did that. I knew some of the recruiters at some of the bigger studios, like Warner Brothers, and by first name. And I could call them after a while. You know, I'd say, hey, it's me again. And I, I know you guys are starting a new production and I want to get on it. And, you know, it usually helped a lot. So then when I went to these interviews, I, I talked to people and I had about five job offers at the time. And one was Tiny Tunes and there was other ones. And then this woman who I worked with at this company who's long gone called Film Fair. Her name was Beth Epstein a sweet woman and she helped me out start out kind of she kind of took me under a wink a little bit and gave me my first kind of commercial gigs with like trick cereal and sugar smacks commercials and i did great and she loved it because you know you got to also care about what you're doing you got to care about your reputation every time you got something you make sure you give it back to the person and it's like fantastic as good as you can make it and so she felt good about what i was doing i was she saw the care and attention i put into it and she said i would go to film rome and they seemed like a young company starting out when i started out there film rome i think it was like 30 people working there and as you might know now, there's like, I don't know, hundreds of people working at Film Roman now. So it was kind of fun to start. And they were in Toluca Lake, California. And they moved to North Hollywood into a much bigger building, but since got bought up by Stars, I think, Stars Media, and they moved yet again. But really, I think what it came down to for them is they saw my, my resume and they saw that I had, you know, had put a lot of effort into finding things to do all throughout like high school and stuff. In high school, my summers, I'd always take some kind of class in art. I grew up in Rhode Island. So it was a whole lot of animation going on. 
So if I could take a cartooning class from some guy or uh, a painting class from someone or something to bulk up my resume, they saw that I had this sort of ongoing interest and effort put into animation to get the little awards I won and things like that. They saw your so dedication, they, yeah. Yeah, so they the hired craft. me based on that. So then it's sort of just like, hey, you know, can you help with this and that? I mean, the storyboard and the character design, I was honestly, I wasn't really prepared to do. <laughs> and so here I was like a lead designer on Bobby's World and I sort of really had it like had these, you know, I wasn't like the super character designer. I was still a kid sort of, uh, you know, in my, uh, you know, mid twenties. So it, it just kind of got thrust upon me. I guess, you know, the thing is that if you can get into a small studio, you know, you're going to have more opportunities to do more things. Big fish in a little pond. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, but it's um I wasn't a big fish. I was, <laughs> I was an inexperienced fish in a real a, a pond with great potential, and it did, and it did fantastic. So until, being, so being lead designer on Bobby's World was that an assignment from Film Roman to you, or or how did or was that like your first job with them? How did that how did that work? It kind of almost was. I mean, when I started out there, they had me do some animation of Garfield right away. You know, they, like my first day, they, and they, they realized, oh, God, you don't know this and you don't know that. And it was, a, I mean, there was a little bit of relearning, honestly, to come up to, from college to, you know, real production Hollywood standards of things. And, you know, I met that. It's not so hard. But, you, you know, you had to put the effort and interest in it. You have to have the passion and love for it. But it was just sort of like, basically, honestly, I think, they got together and decided who they wanted to hire based on portfolios and resumes. I mean, I just came out of nowhere. They just had like announcements like you, you and these other guys are doing this and you and other guys are on this project doing that. And, you know, we're paying you guys. So let's put you guys to work and you better you know, put some good stuff out. And, you know, it kind of went from there. Yeah. Great. So it was, it was kind of just thrust upon me again. So they just needed people. They had a 30 people. So, you know, half those people were directors or, you know, human resources and all these other things, payroll. So uh, it was nice. It was, I learned a lot. I really learned a lot that way. And I had worked other bigger studios and it's true. You get really, you know, of course, Disney, that sort of joke with Disney is like you work for Disney and you just like, you know, you might get stuck doing like Ariel, Little Mermaid's yeah. hair animation only. <laughs> Nothing wrong with that. It's fantastic. It adds a lot to the film, but you know, it can, it can be for some people, you know, sometimes, sometimes these things can feel very much like assembly line kind of approach. And you're not really, you know, the whole idea that I, a lot of animation people have of creating worlds and all this kind of like, it's kind of crashes upon you, the reality that, you know, you're just doing this little piece of it. Uh, uh -huh. And so it's right. When you work for the mouse, you, <laughs> you work for the mouse. <laughs> you are good. <laughs> I always make yeah. like making fun of working for them, which is funny because uh, like it's a lifelong dream of me to do voices for Disney. But yeah, I like to make fun. <laughs> I like that. It's very good. I I, I can't do that. So <laughs> <laughs> I can't even whistle. So we are starting to run out of time, but before we go couple questions first what was your favorite series or film that you've worked on in your career Ooh. okay i got it i got it i got a chance to work on richard williams uh thief and the cobbler so richard williams is the guy who was behind roger rabbit yeah so he's like total world class he's the guy who put out what's that animation book that's the bible now um i can't remember what it is the survival guide for animation or something 
That's Richard Williams. So he's a big shot. He was like, you know, as big as any Walt Kimball or any Disney animator. He passed away, I guess, just a couple of years ago, a few years ago. Mm. But he had a film he had worked on. Again, a passion project, wonderful film. I recommend it to anybody called The Thief and the Cobbler. But it was, uh, he wasn't getting it done because he was just putting so much effort into it. And they ended up, I don't know, somebody took it over and uh, everybody was clamoring to get a piece of it. I was, you know, fortunate enough. And again, I had some friends that were able to pull me in and say, hey, I, I got into this. And, you know, a little bit of networking. And, you know, I never, I'm not a fan of that kind of thing, that networking. But it's nice to network when you actually have friends who do it and who actually respect you and appreciate what you do. And they know that you're going to help them. Right. Versus it's kind of like networking. And that's kind of just like, you know, hey, what do you do? I do animation. Hey, can you hire me? And, I, you know, I other words for it and stuff like that. That's sort of that sort of, you know groveling kind of thing I, I never was a big fan of that and probably didn't help me a lot but it does it does like I said if you build up your reputation and you you're a good person in the studio and people like you and you're helpful I was the guy who did the football poll I mean I did the football pool you know so that's important who's going to win the football oh, game yeah, everybody absolutely. who's won their money I was the guy <laughs> so hey they had to keep me <laughs> yep there you go like that, so, yeah, there was an episode of How I Met Your Mother that was, you have to be, yeah. you, you got to be one of the guys, you know, either the food guy or the sports guy. It was, it was funny because yeah. we would do this little betting thing that people would hear about and they sort of, I'm not so sure, but when it came down to the Super Bowl, Phil Roman would throw in his money. And then that would be like the time where the guys who were, who were like looking over and saying, hmm, they'd be like, okay, I'm in. It was yeah. a Super Bowl. I'm in. But it was only like five bucks or something. It was always very small. It wasn't like, yeah. you know, we were. Yeah, but uh, yeah, I think that was, I think the Thief in the Cobble was great. And the Simpsons was a, was a great experience, of course, oh, yeah. too, uh, working Margin of Monorail. Now that I've, it's been recognized, it's, it's nice. One um, of my favorite episodes. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it was fun. I mean, the whole scene with Marge uh, with, the, with the shotgun and all, and it came along, <laughs> that whole thing. I remember that. It was a lot of great scenes. And even on the Thief and the I mean, Cobble. It- it, it references one of my favorite musicals of all time, The Music Man, as well. So it's just. Right. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah, Conan. Yeah, it was, it was good. It was very, it was a really good episode. Yeah. So that was like, you know, I guess those are a couple of things. You know, Tom and Jerry the movie. I love Tom and Jerry a lot, but you know, the movie wasn't my favorite. I worked on Jetsons the movie. That was my first feature I worked on, and again, it was fun. But you know, it's not like Pixar. Right. <laughs> right. And that's the thing, though. It's that in, in the industry, you know, you don't always get, you know, you don't always get the the biggest slice of the pie. You get sometimes you get a lot of projects that you know, are maybe not the most wonderful outcomes or the most successful theatrical releases around. They're all good and they're all great and they all have potential. But, um, you know, yeah. it's just how the, the nature of it is. A little bit Hollywood is like the too many cooks sometimes and making the soup. It's sometimes it kind of goes off the rails because there's too many people thinking about it. I mean, when they decided to make Tom and Jerry talk, you know, I'm not a big fan of that at all. <laughs> so True. You know, it's <laughs> it's not that kind of thing. Like, yeah. yeah, I think you could have you could have built up this sort of this whole chasing thing, and you could I mean you could have made that I think you could have made that into a feature. You just sort of make it grander. You have this yeah grander you know of course there's a story around it, but still sort of involved in this whole chasing getting you kind of thing. And I think the whole I don't know I'm getting off on track, but you know the whole thing about Tom Jerry is all the violence. You just love the violence, right? So, but but you got to give voice actors jobs. So <laughs> yeah, that's always important. Yes, yes. Or nowadays, you got to get celebrities to sell the films. <laughs> celebrities are involved in lots of things now, writing kids' yeah. books, films, uh, and I guess apparently being politically active. So I guess that's, that's that.
almost done, but one more thing. A new thing that I want to introduce, I've kind of done it in other podcasts, but I want to talk a little bit about how we know each other, which is not a sponsor of the show. I'm going to say this right out loud, but we are both investors in Pencilish. Correct. Which is a new fan-funded animation company, which I'm very excited about. Yeah, it was really interesting to hear about that. I don't know how it came. I just, I guess I got, you know, online, everything that comes to my screen is all related to the stuff. So I just get inundated with things related to, you know, Facebook is just so good at that. Right. But, you know, it comes from all different places. And I just came across my desk and I, I talked to my wife about it. And she said, sounds like a good idea. So yeah, I, I invested probably, you know, a little more than 20 bucks on, on that. But um, yeah, yeah, I usually don't do that kind of thing, but I kind of thought, gosh, I'm going to invest in anything. It seems like right? <laughs> having done one myself, uh, would be uh, interesting. Of course, Tom Bancroft who's, uh, and his, his brother sort of and their great crew that they seem to put together. I mean, I know Aaron. I know some of these people who he's put together. Even I, I know them from, again, just being thrown in front of me about what they do and the drawing classes they have or whatever. Yeah. Uh, these are good people. So I'm not really as concerned about how it, you know, it succeeds or not. I just, I just like to support it. I'm hoping it does, but yeah. It's, it, these things are, you know, it's very tough in the industry. It's fickle. And there's a, there's a, there's a lot of, you know, I, you know, truthfully, there's a lot of people who will backstab you too. So you got to watch out for that. But Tom's right. a vet. So I feel really good about him at the helm. He knows um, what he's doing. <laughs> yeah, he seems to yeah. be, doesn't he? Yeah. He seems to have some idea. <laughs> All right. So we are pretty much out of time. But one last thing before we go is go ahead. I'd like to give you the opportunity. Tell us what you're working on now. I think you mentioned it a bit earlier, but anything you'd like to promote, go ahead and tell our listeners and where we can find, you know, your website, you know, where we can see your work. So, yeah, I mean, as far as my company, Flamdoodle, uh, you know, I haven't really done anything with the website in quite a long time. It's almost like kind of funny now because it says it's going to be updated and it's been that way for about 15 years. And <laughs> there's really no point. There's no point. Still money coming. Into- <laughs> Well, there's no point. It's like, uh, no, I, my phone's not ringing a whole lot in New Mexico. So I, I, I'm not going to invest in that. So, yeah, I think that I have been working the last few years, maybe even, I'd say maybe as back, far back as five years on a new project. So I developed these characters. And I just, what I, my idea is the heavily developed characters that have a lot of history, very deep characters. And I kind of let them run loose. And I'm skipping the whole storyboard. I'm skipping the whole script. So... <laughs> I think it's really fun. These characters are just, they're all about, they're all pets. So they're all like strays and they have bad owners and they're all trying to find new homes, <laughs> but it goes really crazy. I mean, there's portals, they're getting transferred past, they all from different times of uh, ones from the future and other pets from the past. They all basically going to end up at modern time in the United States and they're going to get together and try to find uh, new homes. But it goes way beyond that. And this is a project I'll probably be working on for quite a while still. I'm, like, so I'm on about page 50 only. There's going to be basically, you know, it's a big confrontation at the end between the pets and, you know, the powers that be and the evil forces and right. things that are trying to, you know, ruin our world. When pets from the future. So in his reality, it's, you know, end, end times Armageddon or something. But we're going to rewrite history and all this kind of stuff. So there's a lot to be said right now. It's kind of like that they're just meeting each other. And I'm taking a sort of a very slow approach, kind of like Charlie Brown, and just have some nice dialogue and nice character development. But um, yeah, I encourage anybody to come on, sign up. It's a subscription-based, but it's only nine bucks a year 
I put up a new page every single month and it's uh, the first year's free. So it's called, uh, again, it's the, the website is hokocomic.com. So H-O-C-O-C-O-M-I-C.com. Great. And it's called Homecoming. And basically these characters are trying to find a home. So it's a very right. universal sort of idea. But I just, I go wacky with it. I think right now I have a crocodile falling through a roof of a fraternity, <laughs> scaring everybody. Meanwhile, these better, these gambler guys have a fish that helps them decide who is going to be the team that wins. And they have taken this fish and put it in their basement. And it's just, I try to really push, push the envelope because I have been, you know, in this for so long and I'm just really trying to now have fun with it and uh, kind of develop it sort of on the fly. So the story is really like real time story happening real time. I literally don't know what's happening, you know, down the road. I'm developing as I go along and I think it's a lot of fun. I think it's working really well. So. I'd love to have people come on and join it. Great. So uh, again, the website is hokocomic.com. And thank you again, Jeff Laflamme of Flam Doodle Productions <laughs> for coming <laughs> on my podcast. And this has once again been another episode of Inside Animation. Yeah.